Okay, let's see what you think about this. FinTech is on its way out. PropTech is on its way up. Digital transformation in China dwarfs whatever else is happening in the world and the US has a lot of reason to be concerned. Well, these fearless forecasts and many more come from a person who can best be described as a mastermind, Paul Schulte, who is the founder of Schulte Research and has a new book out, The Transformation of Property in Greater China, Finance, 5G, AI, and Blockchain. And the two Ds have him today on their podcast for a wild ride here on Dave and Darm Demystify. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Darm Demystify show. Dave and Darm Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Darm Mystery. Demystify. Morning, everybody. And this week on the Dave and Darm Demystify Show, we have Paul Schulte from Singapore joining us. Now, I'm sure most of you will know Paul, but for those that don't, I'm going to ask Paul just to give us a little intro to himself. It's a fascinating background. We're very lucky to have you on the show today, Paul. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So I came from working with the US government, worked for all three branches, and then I found myself out in Asia. I worked for the Indonesian government doing some of their capital markets reform, and then I ended up joining Credit Suisse. And then I spent some time also at Lehman Brothers. And then, of course, Nomura bought Lehman. And then for the last 10 years, I've had my own research company. I've written four books on financial technology, AI, quantum computing. I've written two books on you know, one of the loves of my life, which is drug addiction treatment. And I work for a number of hedge funds, insurance funds, pension funds, sovereign wealth funds in an advisory research capacity now. Fantastic. And I just read one of your latest books around prop tech. So given your kind of background, I mean, what's the link with prop tech and, you know, what's going on in the fintech world and for banks, I guess? That's a great point. So I was covering banks for many, many years. I was head of the financial institutions group for Lehman Brothers and Nomura for the Far East looking at banks. And then in 2013, I just thought something's happening here that's going to disrupt the banks. And so back then I wrote a book the next revolution in our credit-driven economy, colon, the advent of financial technology. You know, and then there was a lot of people who just didn't believe it. FinTech has basically manifested itself and is sort of very 2020. I think the FinTech phenomenon is finished. What happened last year and why I wrote this book was that FinTech is evolving and morphing into a world where it's connecting with InsureTech with this world of tokenized and digitized data, which is happening extremely fast with the 5G and edge computing, right, in particular, and is very rapidly digitizing the largest asset class in the world that nobody really talks about, right, in markets, which is property. I mean, a lot of people own a home, 
They don't invest in property. What's happening and why I wrote the book is that very rapidly, China in particular was digitizing these physical assets. It's the largest asset class in the world very, very rapidly and beginning to tokenize it and trade it and create new industries based upon this rapid digitization of the property market. And that's industrial property, logistics, commercial and residential. Tell us a bit more because we have two camps here. People that think that crypto is a scam. Crypto is a passing fad. And we've got people that think that crypto is going to take over the world. So where do you stand on this? Well, I mean, there's a lot of really smart people in central banks all over the world who don't think that it's a scam, right? And there's a lot of really smart people in the private sector from companies like JP Morgan and Visa and their circle and MasterCard and PayPal, right? And these are people who say, you know, we need to really embed ourselves into the digital asset world. And crypto is a very small part of what I think is going to happen. I'm focusing on kind of these other things, which people think are even more flaky, non-fungible token, the NFT. That's where it's all going, right? Cryptocurrencies are going to be used as a facilitation, as a means of exchange for a much, much larger universe of assets. You used straight up words like token, and then we've just talked about NFTs. And, you know, for me, I always think crypto is a bit like those magic eye posters that we had many years ago, where you have to kind of look at them in a special way in order to see what's there. I find it quite difficult to kind of get my head around some of the concepts. So when you talk about tokens, can you elaborate on that at all, please? Okay, so what we have at the moment, which again, very, very early days, we have a digital representation of anything. It could be a digital representation of a wine bottle, a piece of art, a home, a share of a building a blockchain-based location of inventories, right? Anything. And that becomes something that is embedded in the blockchain. And again, we all know that the buzzwords of blockchain, you know, it's embedded, it's indelible, it's agreed upon, it's trustless, all that crap, right? Which is true. And so these become tradable units. In our world, why can't I have a unique ownership of a painting, of a bottle of wine? Tokenization is simply a blockchain-based representation of uh, publicly recognized ownership, which is universal and tradable. A deed of property is not tradable. It's owned by me. It's an agreement between me and my bank. There's nothing to do but put it in a closet as a piece of paper, right? An Excel spreadsheet is not tradable right? That's why you don't go around saying that, well, don't we already have this? No, we don't. And so that's what I'm talking about with tokenization. That's really, I mean, such a clear way of describing it. So thank you. One of the other things which is interesting, just based on some of the things you're talking about, the fact that this is happening in China. And I bore you again with this, Darmish. I was lucky enough to go to Shenzhen last year. And the mobile revolution in action where there was no cash around. It was very difficult to spend money on credit. Everything was on mobile phones. You know, I talk about the fact that China's managed to go through digital transformation at a country level faster than most banks have managed to do it themselves, you know. And it's kind of interesting that they're now pushing on into this new frontier. Also, just picking up on some of the stuff in your book, China had a plan, right? And that plan 
was a national infrastructure, in fact, a global infrastructure, yeah. right? And the only other place I've seen that happen really on scale with massive impact to the entire country is India. But we've got tons of initiatives around e-government, digital government, blah, blah, blah. But they all seem very disparate, right? And we're about to play with a digital ID for individuals. To me, unless it's top-down driven with the association of some of the big techs to accelerate it, it's not going to happen. What's your view on why it won't work in other countries unless they do something? That's absolutely right. China, back in 2014, made this a national agenda. It was embedded in the five-year plan. It was embedded even deeper in the recent five-year plan that was promulgated this year, basically. And then Xi Jinping, don't forget, before he became premier, he was the party secretary for Zhejiang province, which is Alibaba's headquarters. I think that was a very principal reason why he became premier, because he was so adept at understanding what was going on, because he was right on Alibaba's doorstep. So what I see happening now is, you know, the U.S. has taken a lot of actions to try to kneecap China and to try and hold China back by, you know, cutting off access to technology, cutting off access to capital, trying to cut off Hong Kong, trying to disrupt China and sort of throw it off balance. But I think this spending bill that just got approved yesterday in the Senate is a small way for the U.S. to say this has to be a top-down effort, you know, and they're finally starting to get the rhetoric How the hell do you think modern America was built? The interstate highway, federal, right? The Apollo program, federal. The atomic bomb program, federal. The computer was federal. The frickin' Pentagon built the internet through DARPA, right? So don't tell me that America is like some private sector nirvana. It's not. It has always been top-down. I worked in the White House in Reagan. It was very public-private, right? (laughs) Reagan would be seen as a communist by the current people on the Republican side now. And so having this top-down approach is really vital and key to getting this right. So I agree with you. They're starting, right? But will they catch up, do you think? I think people realize that if you try to use the FinTech from four or five years ago and try to push it forward now without realizing how much progress we've made on the crypto blockchain side, you're going to get it wrong. A lot of FinTech may already be antiquated technology, may already be obsolete. The center is not FinTech anymore. The center is not payments. The center is digital, non-fungible tokens, non-fungible assets, right? Digital assets that are tokenized. And FinTech, InsureTech, PropTech, and that crypto world is finding its new center in blockchain-based technology. So you better get on board with that really quick. And that requires a central bank digital coin. So I am totally baffled why the Federal Reserve doesn't get this. To me, it's so obvious. And why in the hell do we have like 25 other central banks engaging in experimental work with central bank digital coin? It's the first time doing one of these podcasts and, you know, heard about fintech having almost run its course. And, you know, Dom and I talked about, because Dom's interested in the world of property, we've been talking about how 5G and the Internet of Things are sort of going to be generating data, connecting things better, you know, really, really driving completely different situations. I mean, it's fascinating that we're almost at the dawn of a completely new system. And everything that's kind of happened so far is a bit like laying some of the foundation. Dave and I were involved with banks and the internet in 96, 97. Really, really, the very first time these banks were going onto the internet. And 
now it feels very much like that time. It feels like 1996 when there's this thing called the internet and it's going to change stuff. We don't really know exactly how or what it will do. And I feel the same is true of decentralized finance and the blockchain that there's this thing and it's really powerful and it can do some things, but we don't know how it's going to change the world. Now, I think that's the general opinion. It's not necessarily the opinion of those people that have been engrossed in it for the last, you know, eight years, right? Totally agree. I was working at ING Bearings at the time and we were installing internet and everybody was bitching at me. Why do we have to do this? Why do we have to have a website? No one's going to look at the website. Why are we putting our research on? We can just deliver it by mail. One of them in London said, you know, our building is 300 years old. We don't want to drill a hole in and bring wire in the building. <laughs> but even more importantly, when I wrote my banking book, my fintech book in 2013, even my clients that are very sophisticated hedge funds, what are you talking about? Why are you writing this book? This is wasting everyone's time. There's no publicly traded stocks that I can trade on fintech. The banks are just going to dominate anyways. And I feel that's exactly the same thing with property right now. The property companies that I've seen are, oh, you know, our data is sort of all over the place. It's hard to get and we're not sure how we're going to do it. And is it really that important? And is it really that urgent? And do you know anybody who can give us a hand maybe, you know, things like that, right? I've worked with so many boards of directors of banks in the last like five years and now boards of directors of property companies and hearing the exact same thing about property that I heard about banks five, six, seven years ago. Yeah, I've just run an exercise where I've been talking to some of the top construction companies in the UK and I wholeheartedly agree. I wrote a few articles on where I thought construction companies could look at sources of inspiration where construction could get to. And the problem is, you know, they're so engrossed in the fact that property is putting some bricks and mortar together and some other materials that actually the business model isn't being challenged anymore. And the same happened in banking in the neobank is still doing the old version of banking without looking at what's the new version in terms of decentralized finance, right? And how that can leverage new things for the customer and different business models, right? So I, I, right. I think you're spot on. It's exactly that. People at the moment, because they don't have somebody, you know, on scale doing this right now, think, right, look, we're in the bricks and mortar business. This is never going to change. Dharma and I have been lucky enough to talk to entrepreneurs from around the world and people from around the world. And what's kind of obvious is there is a play going on, which is truly global, you know. So we talked to someone who runs a bank in Burundi and he's saying, look, you've got to remember that in Burundi, we're watching the same programs you're watching in the UK. We're sort of reading the same news. We're accessing the same crypto. And the penny dropped for me. I was like, there is something around globalization. This whole world of crypto is driving a much more global agenda. Now, I think layered on top of that, I've got some thoughts around hardening between East and West. And there is something which is so big going on because it's global in many ways. What are your thoughts on that? There's a good book I love, which is The Silk Roads by Jonathan Frankopan, which is one of the best books on history I've ever read. The Silk Road is you know, Beijing, Chengdu, Singapore, the Hindukush Mountains, India, Pakistan, the Gulf, Ethiopia, the Horn of Africa, Jerusalem, Rome, and London. And people have been fighting over that for 2,500 years. And that is exactly what they're fighting about right now. For the time being, China dominates a lot of that area between Beijing, Chengdu, Hong Kong, Singapore, over to Bangladesh, Pakistan, Middle East, Africa. 
And it makes America extremely nervous that Alibaba and Tencent and the burgeoning prop tech sector and smart cities is controlled by China. And that's exactly the source of this Cold War that we are beginning right now. Biden's trip to Brussels for the NATO meeting really cemented that because they came out fighting and they have come up with some extremely aggressive and militant initiatives against China since that meeting in the middle of June. And so I think that's exactly right. What they're fighting about now is the digitization of cities. This is the center of the fight. And PropTech is in the middle of this and cryptocurrencies are in the middle of this. And so I agree with you. I think that it is a fight of smart cities and cryptocurrencies along the Silk Road, as it has been for 2,500 years. They can use gold coins and silver coins before that. Well, God, if we're getting a new Cold War around PropTech, then you know that this is going to be a big thing going forward, don't you? Well, exactly. I mean, with PropTech, if you have a smart city and you control the technology of smart cities and the digitized versions of it, you have a kill switch. You can turn it on and off. And this makes America extremely nervous that too many of these technologies are in the hands of China and not enough in the hands of American allies. And so this is the source of the motivation for the Cold War. It's very clear to me, plain as day. Nothing of the Western internet goes into China and nothing of the Chinese internet goes into the West. And so if you have WeChat, you're lucky, right? Because nobody in Hong Kong who's a mainland Chinese person, they don't need Facebook. They don't need you know, Google. They don't need Amazon. They don't need any of that. So if these companies turn it off in Hong Kong, that's fine because these guys already have their Chinese system. And I think that's true of other places. Singapore is a weird mix. Singapore is trying to maintain like a Switzerland status, right? They're neutral. And so people use WeChat here. They use the everything else here too. Almost every country in Africa uses a Huawei phone, right? Huawei has an increasing market share. This makes America really uncomfortable. You got to do, you got to control the telecommunications system. You have to control the physical land system. You want to control the seas. You want to control money. And then you want to control the technology and you have a global dominance. And America's losing grip on all of those. I mean, it's really, really incredible when you start thinking about it at that level. We're sort of running short on time, but I just wanted to go back to the whole property thing, because I think for me, again, in the UK, property is worth trillions. But to your point, value is not realized particularly until somebody dies or you move or whatever. When you talk about tokens and turning property into NFTs, that actually what you can do is release some of the money that's held in there and trade that in different ways. Look what Amazon did to inventories. They revolutionized the entire inventory process. Look at what Apple did to communications and the social network, right? Look at what Facebook has done in like a very short period of time. I talked to a guy from Citibank five, six years ago, and he's gone on to other things. And he told me, Paul, you have to understand something. You have all these like fancy ideas of fintech. 80% of all the stuff that's done in Citibank is paper. And so in the case of banks, it's probably much better. It's probably 50%. Now, I don't know, maybe 60. But think of a 40-story building or a three-story house as a giant glob of paper. Less than 1% of real estate has been digitized, right? And so think about the potential for someone to come along like an Apple or Amazon or whatever to digitize this and create fantastical levels of 
value, not just on trading it, but on managing it, creating new value, construction, safety, consumer products, everything. That's what my book is all about. There's endless ways you can redistribute insurance, you can redistribute ownership, you can redistribute electricity, utilities, and you can defray insurance for construction costs. You can revolutionize the way you build. You can revolutionize the way that you renovate, right? The way that you can imagine how your home can look if you want to redesign it. You can revolutionize the way that you manage buildings, the way that you manage your clients, because real estate has been a joke. They take 4% and they say, these are the bedrooms. This is the window. This is a great view. And this is a nice neighborhood with a good school. And that'll be 4%, please. And then agents say, here's the building. Here's the floor you're on. And it's $25 a square foot. And here's the keys. Shove off. (laughs) Well, that's gone. That business is gone. If you can't add value in digital ways, you're a goner. And that's where this 4% joke is going to go away. And the fees that real estate companies who are managing properties charge are going to go away unless you can create great amounts of value through digitized technologies. And that's what this is all about. That is what PayPal taught us about banking. That's what Klarna and Revolut and Robinhood you know, for all their faults, they taught us a lot of really interesting ways that you can trade things. Wow. Cheaper, faster, better. Everybody wants cheaper, faster, better, cheaper, faster, better, right? And tech for real estate is just starting. It's the bottom of the first inning. And so far, the real estate management companies are asleep and the developers are asleep. Having read your book, my head was blowing up with ideas, etc. And you know, my current venture with Ask Homie, you know, it's all about digitizing property data and creating a super app for households, right? So we're going to have to do a second shoot, tell you a bit about what we're doing and how I think it crosses over with finance. I was going to say, God, makes me feel like I should go off and start a prop tech company. Fifth Wall, it's a specific prop tech private equity company in Los Angeles in Venice Beach, where I used to live. They have done three SPACs this year, three for almost $750 million to buy up companies that are doing this kind of stuff. So there's a lot of money out there. Fantastic. Wow. Look, Paul, I've had my mind blown a couple of times, well, more than a couple of times in this conversation. It's been absolutely fabulous. So thank you so much. We're going to need another session at some point. You know, I really appreciate your thoughts and your candor. Have a fantastic day. Fantastic. Okay, thanks, you guys. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dan Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvelous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.